taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. So it's something to clap about when you get to come to church as you're getting ready to be seated. Just look to the person to your right or left and say, hey, Merry Christmas. Glad I got to sit by you. Thank you for brushing your teeth and getting ready. Your breath smells amazing. And then you can be seated as you, as you get ready. Uh, hopefully you're ready for the word of God tonight. If you're, a, if you're a guest here tonight, I just want you to understand what's going on. If you've never been to church before, maybe you uh, want to know kind of what you're in for. And so I'll tell you, we got about 30 minutes more together. We're going to light some candles at the end, sing another Christmas carol, and, and get you on your way. Uh, but I want you to understand at all of our campuses that, that if you're here for the very first time or you're back at church, maybe you haven't been for a long time, man, I consider this a ridiculous honor to be with you tonight. I believe God wants to do something in your life. I believe if you would, if you would just simply say in this moment, uh, and here's, here's the foundation of God doing something in your life. If you're tired of the way that you're living, if you... If you've come to the same conclusion and figured out the same uh, kind of reasons that I have figured out in my life, and that is this world is kind of empty. There's no relationship. There's no job. There's no status. There's no new year. Uh, there's really nothing you can find that will satisfy you, that maybe if you were at that point in, in your life, that maybe if there's nothing in this world that would satisfy you, that you were created for something besides this world. That there's a God that loves you more than you can imagine, and I don't know what you've heard about him, but he, he's not really overly concerned with what you brought into this place or how many mistakes that you have made or, or how, how, how much addiction that you struggle with or how broken that you are. He is ridiculously excited for you to be here tonight, and he has something to, to accomplish in your life. If you would simply say, you know, here, I'm at that spot. You know, we called our, our sermon series, and if you're not a church person, we kind of preach through series, and so for the month of December, we just called it Home for the Holidays, and we said, listen, we just want to create a spiritual home uh, for people, uh, and so we've been kind of coming through this series, and I, I want some audience participate. I think you should have fun in church. Are, are you with me? Like, I don't think church should be, it should be a spot where you're not able to smile and, and cry and, and laugh and have a good time, so I just want some audience participation. I want to know what your favorite at all of our campuses Christmas tradition is. If you are a, a gifts person, give me a woo. We're going to come back to that one in a second. Tree, Christmas tree. How many of you set your Christmas tree up on Christmas Eve? Let me just, why do you do that? I, just, I was driving by, yes, like yesterday, people were still getting trees. I'm like, why do you waste your money for a night or what? I guess you leave it up till March. I'm not really sure. But for me, that's a party fail. Like your tree should come down by the first. It's just kind of how I was, I was like, lights we talked about. I mean, I was just a big movie buff. Like holiday movies are your thing. Hallmark movies, Elf. Yeah, that's what I like to hear. Carols, you, went really, you thoroughly enjoyed. I don't know why you thoroughly enjoyed. How about just family dinner? Like cookies. You're going to go out and eat tonight. Yeah, you, 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 we, we like that. Let's go back to the gifts part. How many of let, let's be, because here's the thing about gifts. How many of you grew up in a house where you were slammed, it was slammed into your head? Uh, it's not about the gifts, right? How many of you are parents now and you are like telling your, even though you went out and spent an arm and a leg on your kids, you're trying to teach them now that it's not about the gifts. They're like, well, what about the tree? The, the, like the gifts under the tree. I can't even see the tree anymore because the gifts are stacked so high on the gifts, but you're telling me it's not about the gifts. I want to argue that fact tonight and say it's all about the gifts. Let's just be honest. I mean, I know we live in a culture where oftentimes you don't get to say what you want to say, but let's just be honest. When you were a kid, I mean, my parents a couple times on Christmas morning would say, hold up, we're going to read the Christmas story. You heard blah, 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 the gifts is what I 
want to get to. God is good all the time and all the time. He is good. So it's about the gifts, and here's what I mean. And here's kind of the basis of my, of my, my message tonight. Because if you preach on Christmas, it's kind of a difficult topic to preach on because you've heard it all before. But here's what I want to argue with you about gifts. I think gifts are given to communicate the feelings of the giver, that they're more than just the gift. I think they're actually given to communicate the feelings of the one who's given them. I'll give you an example. My favorite gift I ever got when I was, when I was a kid, I got a seven-foot G.I. Joe aircraft carrier. I can remember it like it was yesterday. It was on the third floor of my house. I lived in a half of a double in Boyertown, right across from Boyertown High School. Woo woo. And so anyway, lived right across the Boyertown High School on the third floor. It was in the attic. Had one of those stickers in case there was ever a fire for the firemen to give me all that stuff. We were way up there. And for one Christmas, my parents, they put every present on the third floor. I don't know why they did that, but one of the presents they carried up two flights of stairs was this seven-foot aircraft carrier. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. I opened up this aircraft carrier, looked at the box. It was still in the box. By the time I woke up, up, up in the, the next morning, this thing was somehow miraculously put together. Now, my 13 or 12 or 11-year-old head, I thought this was just normal. Like, this is just what happens. You open something, it puts itself together. But now as a, as a parent, like that knows what's, what, what does tomorrow entail for you as a parent? Your kids open up all your presents and they line them all up. And then if you have little kids, they go through every present in about 10 seconds and they want you to open. And I don't know if you understand. It's like they don't want you to open the presents, unscrew every little plastic thing in the back, put batteries in, play with toy five minutes, do the next thing, build this, set this up. And as a parent, I now, listen, I like the gifts, but I hate that part of it. Uh, But when I was a kid, I didn't even realize that was part of it. Like I just thought this was normal. But then I started thinking about this this week and I thought to myself, my dad, and mom went out to Toys R Us. You guys remember Toys R Us? A little moment of silence. And they picked up the seven-foot aircraft carrier that I had seen in the Toys R Us catalog. Not Google, the catalog. I had circled it. I'm pretty sure my dad and mom are pastors. They took the church van. If you don't know what a church van is, you, know, you haven't been in church for a long time enough. If you were, you were a teenager, you were in the church van. It's probably the first place you made out with somebody. And so that's just another... <laughs> story. And so they took the church van because we didn't have SUVs back then and we didn't have a minivan. They had four Tauruses. That's what all pastors drove in the 90s. And so they went and they got, a, they got the, 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 the toy and then they, they carried it up three flights of stairs. And I can't even imagine, I was thinking, how much, how much wrapping paper did you have to use to wrap a box the size that's seven foot? I mean, it was a seven foot long box. And then I, I can't even imagine, like I've opened up presents for my kids and put them together. I'm talking a few pieces. A few years ago, I put a basketball hoop together. That was, that was kind of frustrating. And so, uh, but I cannot imagine the amount of pieces like, that, that he put together for me after he went out and bought it, right, and wrapped it and lugged it and all that stuff. And then he spent all, the, all night, I don't know how long it took him, all night putting this in. And I just walked out and it was just together. And as, a, as a, an adult now, I'm looking at my father and I'm going, man, he really must have loved me. Like that gift to me was just an aircraft carrier. But for him, it was communicating his true feelings that he had for me. He was telling me by that, 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 that gift the way that he actually, I didn't understand it, the way that he actually loved me. You know, in the Christmas tradition, there's, there's gifts given. I don't know if that's where we get it from. I did some research. Some people say it's a pagan ritual. I don't really care. I enjoy it. And so, but for, for a lot of Christians, they'll say, no, 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 it gets traced back to the wise men. And so they go back to these wise men. And if you're not a church person, you know, you've seen the nativity. The wise men weren't actually there. That's just a common uh, a myth that church teaches. If you do a little study, and they were actually there about two years later, maybe 40 days later, but more realistically, two days later. 
or two years later. And, and, and the thing about the wise men is they kind of just show up on the scene and they give gifts to, to baby Jesus, but they don't really make sense. Like if you had a, a sprinkle or a shower today and people showed up with myrrh, you're like, what's, I need diapers and wipes, right? Like I don't, I need butt paste. I don't need myrrh. I don't know what you want me to do with this. But they showed up with these gifts that are just kind of random. And if you look at the gifts, you'll, you'll realize you do a little studying with these wise men. And, and you know, I don't really have time to tell you where they came from, but let's just say they kind of traced their lineage back, back far, far time before Jesus came. And these wise men were these type of priests, and they kind of practiced this religion, kind of like the Levites did for the Jewish people. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, let's just call them uh, astrologers. Uh, and so they didn't just randomly show up. Actually, they were from a lineage of these, these men, these sects of, these, these sects of people, S-E-C-T, by the way, of people. Uh, that traced their lineage back about, about, about 600, 700 years, and actually they would have crossed paths with a man named Daniel. See, they were around in the Babylonian Empire, and there was, a, there was a time when Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, tore it apart, and took the best and the brightest from Jerusalem back to Babylon. And some of them were these men named uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they would have crossed paths with Daniel. And Daniel would have begun to, to maybe teach them some of his religious teachings. And some of his religious teachings would go even farther back to about 900 years in the book of Numbers, where there was a prophetic Bible verse that said there will be a star in the sky that would shine over the, the Savior. You can read it. Uh, for yourself at some point. So it's, it's coming, but not soon. And so what he was saying is about 1,500 years from now, there's going to be a star, but nobody knew this. But these wise men had passed on this tradition for about 600 years. They had said, though, eventually there's going to be this star. It's just going to show up. It's going to be random. They had studied the thing. And so you can imagine how excited they were when they see this star, and they say, that's the star that we learned about from our fathers, 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 fathers 600 years ago. That star represents something. That star actually represents a 1,500-year-old prophecy. And so they go to the place where they, where they find the, the house underneath the star, and they find this, this baby, and he's actually probably a toddler, and you can imagine what a toddler is like. And so they tried to kind of talk to them, and they show up, and they bring these gifts. And if the, you just think about the gifts in, in, in the sense of the gifts, they don't kind of weird. They bring, they bring gold, frank, frankincense, and myrrh. I take the first one. The last two, I'm not into essential oils. And so like, that's another, another thing. And so you look at it, you do some study, and what they were doing is they were actually trying to communicate their feelings that they had that they had been taught, these, these deeper feelings. You see, gold represented kings at that point. So when they gave this little baby gold, it was a very weird thing to just show up and give them gold. But they, what they were saying is, we believe you're the king, the, the promised king that we've heard about for, for, for years, the one that's been promised for 1,500 years. And when they gave him frankincense, they weren't just giving him an essential oil. They were actually giving him an oil that was very common of, of priests to burn at that point in the temple. So what they were saying is, you are the king, but you are also coming as the high priest. You were coming as somebody who would understand, and then they gave him myrrh, and this one was kind of creepy because myrrh was commonly used to embalm bodies. I don't know if that was offensive to Mary and Joseph or not. But the message was, you are, you are the king that will also be the high priest, the bridge between God and man. And you came here not just to be born, but to die. So there was a deeper message in, in the gifts. The gifts were not just only about the one they were giving it to. The gifts were these wise men communicating the feelings that they had for this Jesus. And we've been in a story for the last four weeks, and we're going to kind of end it here tonight. And it's the story of the prodigal son. And, and I thought it was neat as we ended there, as we started thinking about gifts, because that's the part that we're in. If you're not a church person, uh, this, this story answers the question, who's God for? Who's he against? 
It was very common te- uh, at that time teaching that, that God was for some people against some people. He was for the religious people, the well-behaved people, and then he was kind of against the tax collectors and the sinners and the cheats and the, and the lepers, and he was distant from them. In fact, if you had leprosy or some kind of ailment, God was actually angry with you. And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and one of the things he was accused of often is he would hang out with sinners and tax collectors. He would hang out with the people that had been taught for their entire life that God doesn't hang out with you, your type. So one time he's teaching and the, the religious people come to Jesus and they say, we can't believe you're hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners. And Jesus says, let me answer this question for you. Because it seems to be common. It seems to be running rampant. It seems to be a message that you're mistakenly sharing with other people. Let me share this, this message with you. So in Luke chapter 15, he, he shares three really stories about lost things and then, and then the celebration when you find them. And, and the last story is, is a really famous story. It's called the prodigal son. We've used it the last month to talk about uh, just the, the, the character of God. We talked about what it looks like to run away from God and how you get what you want but not what you need. And then we talked about why God lets people hit rock bottom because it's at rock bottom that oftentimes he can show him the true extent of their love. And then last week I showed you the characteristics of the father that would run to the, to the son. And so if you're not a church person, maybe you never hold the sto- heard the story, but Jesus basically says there's a son and he comes to his father and he looks at his father and he says, give me my inheritance. And in that culture, he was essentially telling his father, I wish you were dead. Just give me, give me, what, you, give me what you have for me. Kind of like what we do with God oftentimes in our lives. I don't need God. And then he goes off, the Bible says, and he squanders all of his, his wealth, all of his father's wealth, and then he hits rock bottom, and he ends up working for, for pigs, and he ends up being in a pretty distraught spot, and so he comes to his senses, we said, and he decides to return home to God, and we talked about what that looks like, and as, or his father, as he returned to his father, you would expect his father to be distant and angry and, and pretty ticked off, just to be quite honest with you, which is what we often think about God, that if you did decide to come back to God, and you did decide to follow God, that he would have a lot of of anger towards you, but the father doesn't display that at all. The son comes over the hill, the father father meets him, the father hugs him, the father kisses him, the father embraces him. The father says, you were dead, and now you're alive. I've been waiting for you every day. I I was heartbroken when you left, and now that you're back, I'm so excited that that, that you're back, and we kind of went over that. And then the last part of the story as his listeners would have been listening, as the religious people would have been angry, because religious people are always angry about grace, because they have been convinced that they have earned their way to God. And can I just talk to you, if you're, if you're here and you come on Christmas and Easter and you think that's what God wants from you, don't waste your time and come back ever again. If you're a religious person that think God is cool with you as long as you spend enough time giving him lip service, God is not an insecure being in heaven. The Bible says if you don't turn your heart to God, that the rocks will cry out to him. And for those of you who assume that you've done so much that there was not a chance that this God would take you back, this story is really answering that. And then Jesus does something. He shares some gifts, and these gifts are really going to communicate the feelings of God towards people like me and you, towards people that are returning back to God, that know that there's nothing good inside of us that we have to offer God, that we need his grace and, and his mercy. And these gifts really speak something to us. And I want to read those to you in the book of Luke chapter number 15. But watch what it says. But while he was a long way off, his father seized him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. This is his reaction. Now watch his response. Watch, watch this. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father doesn't even pay him attention. He doesn't even respond to his son. He looks at his servants. He says, quick, 
Bring what? Everybody say the, the, the best what? That's the first gift. It's always about the gifts. Come on now. He brings the best robe. He, he puts it on him. He puts a what? Everybody say, if you like it, then you better put a ring on it. Uh-oh, right? What do you say? Put a ring on his finger, and watch what else he says. And sandals on his feet. Crocs on his feet. I don't know what they look like. Sandals on his feet. Bring the fattest calf that I have. Hold your ears if you're not a, a meat person. He says, slaughter that thing. It's time to have a steak dinner tonight. Let's feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Can I just give you three quick things that these gifts are telling us tonight? Maybe this is you. Maybe, maybe you're coming over the hill tonight. Maybe you walked into church tonight, and you were just... Just a little bit afraid of how it was gonna it's gonna be for you, like how people are gonna look at you, like you think everybody knows about your business, kind of like we all struggle with. Like maybe you were just really concerned, and I want to give you three things that these gifts tell us about the character of God, because gifts are really given to communicate the feelings of the giver. Are you ready? Number one is this: the first thing we find out from the first gift, which is the robe, is this: is God is not disgusted by you. God, God is not disgusted by you. God has the same type of love for you that if you're a parent, you have for your kids. Do your kids do disgusting things? I mean, absolutely. I have three boys. They are gross, right? They tried to give me a cookie that they made the other night at my mom's house. I said, I don't want a booger cookie, right? I'm not eating your cookies. They were like, that's mean. I was like, no, it's not. That's safe, right? Like, I'm not touching. Did you wear gloves? I'm not eating your cookies, right? I live with you. But, but for a parent with a kid, is there anything that disgusts you so much that in the moment when your kid is suffering that you won't touch them? On, on Monday night, it's Christmas time, and so one of my kids always gets sick around Christmas time. It's just one of our family traditions. It goes tree, you know, gifts, throw up. <laughs> they throw up on Christmas, they throw up on vacation. It's two times they ruin, and so... Monday night, we're watching a Christmas movie. I'm laying on the floor, and my, my, all my sons are there. Leah's, you know, out with, at a meeting, and so we're, we're having men time, and, and Harrison, my youngest, is t- rolling around the floor at, telling me he doesn't feel good, and I'm like, you, you're, you're, you're dramatic. You're faking it. Be tougher, you know, stuff like that. He's two. He's fine, and so he's five, and so... So I look at him again, and I'm like, he keeps rolling around, and he's just kind of rolling around me, and I'm like, dude, if you got to throw up, you're on a white carpet right now. Throw up is orange, right, and chunky. You need to go to the bathroom. And so I'm looking at him, and you ever have your kids, you're like, just get to the bathroom, just get to the bathroom, get to the bathroom. Finally, he rolls over, looks at me, he's like, I don't feel good. I'm like, go to the bathroom. In the middle of me going to the bathroom, he projectile vomits all over the floor, the rug, and here's the first time, is that all over me. I mean, mean, I've been spit up on. I've stuck my hand in my kid's diaper before and got a little, you know what, on me. I have never in my 10, 11 years of being a parent been thrown up on, like, legitimate orange throw up. I'm, ah, ah, gross, what are you doing, right? Like, like, that kind of moment. But here's the thing. As he threw up on me, there was nothing in that moment that made me, well, you know what, I can't help you right now. You're on your own till your mom gets home. She is the compassionate, kind one. I'm the dad. I'm stern. Should have made it to the toilet. Should have done what I asked you to do. There was, a, there was a thing inside of me that said, you know what? No matter what you do, you're not disgusting to me. This is disgusting what you did. But I'm not disgusted by you. 
And here's the thing about the, about the son. What he did was disgusting. He looked at his dad and he said, forget you. He went and spent what it took his dad his entire life to, to earn in just a few short weeks. He squandered it, the Bible says. He ends up working with, with, with a farmer that takes care of pigs, which was Jesus throwing a curveball in that story because the Jewish people, that was a no-no. I mean, this guy had hit rock bottom. And I got to tell you something. I don't know if you've ever been to a farm. I can pretty, I'm pretty sure he was, he was smelly. Uh, he was dirty. Uh, if he didn't have a robe, it means he just had an undergarment on. It was probably light colored, tan, white. You can imagine if he's been hanging out in a pig pen that it is brown from top to bottom, probably rattered and, 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 and ripped. And he comes home and I gotta, he, is, he is a smelly, disgusting individual. And what does his father do to him? Does he say, listen, boy. You stink, capital S-T-I-N-K. You, you, you're a gross. You messed up. This is what you get. Show him a picture. This is what you looked like under my care, but this is what you're like. Now, what does he say? He doesn't, even, he doesn't even think about it. He hugs him the way a parent hugs him. He kisses him, the Bible says. I don't even, I don't even think about that. It, 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 he does things with his, his son that no other person in the world would do. He gets into his business, and then what does he say? Get the best robe. Not his best robe, because his best robe is gone. His best robe, he lost on a poker game, right? His best robe, he, he pawned off the pawn star. He, his best robe is gone. He says, get the best robe. Whose robe was it? It was, it was, it was the father's robe. And he, and he covers the son. Now, I did a little study of, of the Jewish time, because we don't really understand robes. Like, I, I, don't, I don't have a robe, and every once in a while I take my wife's robe, and it's kind of awkward when she comes downstairs and catches me. In a robe, like, like, but so we don't really wear robes, like, but at that point, like, robes they indicate status, R robes indicated that you're covered by your father, robes indicate that you're an important person. It, it was a covering. Now, you, you maybe we don't see that exact example again in scripture with a father and a son, but but you consistently see Jesus doing this spiritually with people. He meets a woman that was caught in adultery and she's about to be stoned and everybody wants to know what Jesus is going to do with her because he's supposed to be the son of God. And what does Jesus do? He covers her. He tells everybody else she's important. I don't care what you say. He meets a naked man that's at a, at a grave, a tomb, tomb site, and he's cutting himself and the rest of the country and, and the community is talking about him and they cast him out and Jesus runs into him, I think on purpose. And he heals him and he covers him. He, he, he meets a woman at the well and he, he covers her. He, he, he meets lepers and he, and, he, and he touches them and he covers them. He, he, this is what he's telling us. He's saying, I'm not disgusted by what you think is disgusting. The areas of your life that you feel ridiculously shamed about and humiliated about and you don't want anybody else to know about it, I already know about it. I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I know where, where you're at. I know where you're, what you're going through. I know the mistakes that, you, that you've made, but I need you to know something, that the character of God through this gift, he's trying to tell us, I am not disgusted by you. I will get involved in the areas of your life that you think nobody else wants to touch. In fact, that's what scripture says in Psalms 40. He says, watch this. He lifted me out of this throw-up slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. And what does he do? He sets my feet on a rock, and he gives me a firm place to stand. God is not disgusted by you. Just quickly, two more that, that we see from the next gift, which is the ring. I want you to understand this next thing is significant. God is not, is not done with you. He's not disgusted with you. And, and God is not 
is not done with you. We have a common saying in, in Journey Church, and it goes like this. If your heart is still beating, God still has a plan for your life. It is, it is never too late to become who God has called and created you to be. I, I firmly believe that. I see that in Scripture. I've seen that in my own life. And I've seen that in the Bible. You see that in the Bible over and over and over again. And you see that in this story that God is not done with you. What does he do? He gives him a ring. And for us, it's kind of difficult to fully understand what's happening here. And so I want to communicate and you to understand this. And maybe I can do it with an engagement ring because we understand that in a wedding ring. So when I gave my wife an engagement ring and then later on we got married and we gave her the wedding band... When I gave that to her, there was a lot of, of symbolism going on. And the symbolism was, this is my wife, and I want to stay committed to her for the rest of my life, and I'm going to be faithful to her and to her alone until Christ calls me home through thick and thin, through ups and downs. Can I get an amen? Ups and downs. We're going to stay together. When we got married, we were kind of a traditional family, and I don't, maybe you're not this, but when we did, she went to the courthouse, and she took my last name. And when she took my last name, we went to the, to the, to, to the, uh, the banks and we put both of our names on our bank account, which I'm a big advocate of. And if you're a married couple, and so if you want to get some marriage counsel, we could do that in January. And so uh, we did that and we, we, we put our mortgage. When we got a mortgage, it was under both of our names and we bought a car. Our first car was a Honda Accord. It was awesome. And so we bought this Honda Accord. It was tough looking. And so this Honda Accord, we put it in both of our names. And when we got paid, it was, it was, it was in both of our names. And when we get a check, sometimes they would make a check out to us and it would just be to me or it would just be to her. But we were co-signers. So if you go to, the, go to the bank, as long as I would put my signature on the line above hers and she would sign below, if it was made out to me, it was technically if I signed it and she went to there, she could represent me. And when his son lost the ring, because when he left, he, he had the ring. He had the ring of authority. He had the ring of sonship. He had the robe that represented his spot in that house. And when he left, he pawned everything. And so when he came back, he didn't have anything on his, any, anything on his hands. He had no bling. And at that point, the, the, the ring was, like, was, was a representation of the authority of the father. So you represent the father. You can have, a, you can have a, a, an important spot in his house. And so when the father says, put a ring back on his finger, what he's saying is, I'm not, not only am I not disgusted with you, I'm not done with you. This happens in the life of Peter. If you're a Bible person, you remember this. Peter defy, uh, the, 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 that says, you know what? I don't believe in Jesus. I wasn't with Jesus. Jesus ends up getting crucified. Peter thinks his life is over, and he has gone back to his old way of life, and, and Jesus comes back to Peter after he has made this ridiculous mistake. And what was so incredible about, uh, incredible about the mistake of Peter is Jesus told him he was going to make it. He was like, you're going you're gonna to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, I will never deny you. A few hours later, a little girl comes up to him, and he gets punked out by a little girl. I didn't know Jesus. So now he's on a beach. He's back to fishing because that's what he did before he met Jesus. And Jesus has risen from the dead, and he shows up. And I don't know if you, you would be like me, but in that moment, I'd be thinking, oh, crap. He's here. I know he knows what I did because he told me what I was going to do wrong. And he's here, and Peter's out fishing, and he hears the voice of Jesus, and he he comes into Jesus, and there's this moment in the story of Peter's life where, where, where three times Jesus forgives him. It's like the three times that you deny me, there's three times where I'm going to forgive you. And then he tells Peter, you still have authority to build my church. In fact, you're going to build my church on failure. You're going to build my church on not being good enough. You're going to build my church on mercy and grace and hope. You see, here's what I found out. As long as God keeps waking you up, I can promise you he's not done with you. He has ridiculously creative ability. Check this out. If he could turn a caterpillar into a butterfly, 
If he can take a piece of sand and turn it into, into a pearl, if he can take a piece of coal and turn it into a valuable diamond, then that tells me that he has the creative power to take broken, hurting, hopeless, and lost people and changing them. He has the power to change your life. He is not disgusted by you, and he is 100% not done with you. Watch what it says in Psalms 30. He says, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Now my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I'll praise you forever. He's not disgusted by you. He's not done with you. And here's the third one. And this is the best news. Maybe this is kind of scary for some of you. But I'm going to tell you that God is not moving on without you. You're irreplaceable to God. He is he is obsessed with you. He shouldn't be. I mean, if I'm the father of, of this son, like he, he shouldn't be. And the truth is, for most of us, we, we've had the other side of life. And what's the other side of life? Life just moves on. I was, a, I was a youth pastor for four years. I had these kids down in Oklahoma that I was super close with. I had, I had watched them grow, some of them, from, from five to, to nine or ten years old in the four years that I was there. Watched them go from kindergarten and, and, and begin to get close to junior high. And then I started doing junior high. And for some of them, I, I'd seen what they could, they could do. And it was just this amazing kind of time in my life where I would get to see kids grow. And then I went back to Oklahoma a year after that I... That I that I did this and I, I thought all these kids would be super excited to see me and like thrilled and he's back and all this stuff and, and when I showed up it was like they didn't even care I was so offended and then I realized this is life when you're just friends with people when you're just a youth pastor when you're you're just a teacher like oftentimes like when you leave you kind of get forgotten and I had this moment where I just got forgotten and some of us I think that's how it goes with God like if I don't sit in the seat that I'm in, and, and if I don't come to church, and if I, if I don't show up, and if I don't have a relationship with God, then God just forgets about me. He goes, you know, there's somebody else. But I think, I think God's love for us is different than that, than, than, than the kids with me. I think it's like a, a parent and a kid. Now, I have not lost a child. And we went through a miscarriage, but I didn't know that child, and so I, didn't, I don't technically consider myself losing like a, like a person that I knew. I think I'll see them again someday in heaven. But I know there's other people that I've met that they have physically, like the baby was born, maybe it was a stillborn, maybe, maybe their kid was born and they lost them a few years in. Maybe, maybe they had older kids and one of their kids got cancer and died. And here's, here's what I know from the people that I met. You don't replace those kids. You don't make another one. Like you, you, you physically carry that hurt around with you for the rest of your life. It's just a painful thing. You have pictures of them. You long for them to go home, to come home. You don't replace their seat at the table. And I think a lot of us think God is like when we went to college and when we came back, what happened? Your room was turned into a gym. You're like, where am I supposed to sleep? You sleep on the couch now. And your parents were saying, listen, you are 27 years old. It's time to get out. Like God does not replace the room. And I know this from this moment because he gives them a ring, he gives them a robe, and the last thing he gives them is sandals. And there's all sorts of meaning in this moment. Like, I don't know what happened to the young man's sandals, but I know that sandals were, 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 were symbolic of a lot back then. Like, sometimes when, a, when, a, when, a, when an enemy army would come and overtake your city, that when they captured you, that they would take your sandals from you and make you walk barefoot. It was a way to embarrass you. So maybe he had lost his sandals because, because God was embarrassing him. Or sometimes when you mourned, you took your sandals off. And so maybe before he got to his father's house, he took off the sandals that he wore that were all tattered up. And he wanted to tell his father, I'm ridiculously sorry for what I've done. 
Or maybe he took them off because it was common at that time for if you were a servant in a house, you didn't get shoes. You didn't get sandals. You remember if you read you know, the story that he was coming back to ask his father if he could just be a servant for him. And so maybe he takes his shoes off and he comes to his father. I'm not sure where his sandals went. All I know is that instantly when his father sees that his feet are bare, that he says, get some sandals for him. See, it was also common, common practice at that time that the only person who would wear their sandals in the house was the owner of the house. Everybody else took off their sandals. And you see in the story, it doesn't say that the son gets to the house and his dad says, hey, take off your sandals. He walks right into the house with his sandals on and as if his father is saying, this is my son's house. He's with me. I have not replaced him, right? I I, I haven't gotten rid of him. I, I, I haven't forgot him. I've refused to move on without him. I've been waiting on him. This is his house. Some walks in with sandals, a ring, a rope. I think he experiences what many of us have experienced with God. I don't know why God loves us the way that he does. I don't know why he sent his son to this earth. To be born of a, of a virgin in a, in, a, in, a, in a manger, the dirtiest place that he could be placed. It was as if he was telling us that he will come to the dirtiest spots of your life. I don't know why he accepted himself to torture on a cross. I don't know why he did any of that for me other than he was trying to tell us how much he loves us. I don't know why he's given me this opportunity to speak to you tonight because if you knew me, you knew I won't deserve this. I speak only from grace and mercy. But I've realized over my days, for some reason, God loves me more than I can imagine. One of my favorite psalms in the book of 139 is something I go back to often. When I feel lonely, when I feel overwhelmed, when I feel confused, when I feel like I don't deserve what God has given me, I go back to one, Psalms 139, and it's this kind of understanding of who God is. And the psalmist writes, he says, he says, you created my inmost being. God, you knit me together on my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful i know that full well my frame was not hidden from you when when i was made in the secret place when i was woven together in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed body i love this part all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be this guy says how precious are your thoughts to me god how vast is the sum of them were i to count them they would outnumber the grains of sand when i awake i'm still with you God is, God is ridiculously obsessed with you. And he's not moving on without you. His heart, his heart breaks for his children. You know, maybe you, you were churchy enough to get here on time tonight. And I was trying to figure out how I could show you this story. And we found a video. We didn't make that video in the very beginning. If you missed it, you missed it. But the video of the father and, and the son, and the son says, hey, if you, I want to come home, but I know I've done so much, and you know, I know I can't just show up, but maybe if you want to see me, leave a sheet out, and when I drive by, I'll see that sheet, and I'll know that you want to see me, and, and you see this father and his weathered hands, and he lost his son, he's putting a sheet out, and as the, as the sun pulls up, it, it, it expands back, and there's sheets everywhere and the message is I've been waiting to see, I want you I want to see you I want you home I've never moved on without you and I started thinking maybe for some of you that'd be the same thing tonight you're here tonight and, and the spirit of the living God 
He's waving his hand. If you want to see me, here I am. The big old sheet, he's waving it in the air like a terrible towel from the Steelers. Please see this. You're not here by accident tonight. I've been longing and waiting for you. I know you better than anybody else knows you. I love you more than you can imagine. I'm not done with you. I'm not disgusted by you. And he's saying, I'm not moving on without you. I'm going to keep knocking. You might leave here tonight. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep prodding. I'm going to keep asking. And the Bible says, if you would simply, simply just let him in. He would come into your life. And he would give you the forgiveness that you need, the grace that you need, the ability to forgive the people that have hurt you the most so that you don't walk around a bitter, empty shell of the person that God created you to be. And he is waving that sheet to you tonight. He has not moved on without you. Would you stand with me all over this house and would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? On other campuses, would you do the same? And I wonder if you're here tonight and you're pulling up to that spiritual home, this this is church, and if you would see that, that white cloth being waved at you, Father saying, I want you home. Maybe say, what do, I, what do I do with that? Well, I'm going to tell you the same thing we do week in and week out. He said, there's some special things that have happened here tonight. But there's also some very normal things. And the normal things are, is I've made a promise to God that any time that we have church, no matter if it's Christmas, Easter, whatever the day is, that we're going to make the name of Jesus famous. And we believe that he will draw men and women to himself. And then we will give people an opportunity to respond <laughs> Bible calls this a moment of repentance. It's a physical step towards God. So how do we do that here at all of our campuses? Well, nobody looks around and I say, listen, this is a moment between you and between God. But maybe you're here tonight and you can relate to that that, that son and you come home and you felt like certain things were going to happen and you've been amazed at at the welcoming presence, not of Journey Church, but of God. You heard my words. He's not disgusted. He's not done. He's not moving on. He's knocking at the door of your heart. And the Bible says that if you would just let him in, if you would let him forgive you, how how does he forgive you? He forgives you. He has the authority to forgive you because he died in your place on a cross 2,000 years ago. And it's through him, through his death, burial, and resurrection that we have our sins forgiven, past, present, and future. That we become a brand new person. That when he rose from the dead, that he defeated death and he defeated hell. And it's through him that you have victory. You're not going to find it in a book. You're not going to find it in a relationship. You're not going to find it in a therapist. You're not going to find it in a drug. You're not going to find it in some kind of accomplishment that you make. You're not going to find it in having kids. You're going to find it in Jesus. My friends, he's here right now. And so this is what we do when we end our church. We say, everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you're here tonight or today, whenever it is, and you know that you need a relationship with God, that, that you need to step into faith, that you need to turn back to him. The Bible says if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, even though maybe you don't fully understand this, but you fully feel it right now, that in that moment you would be saved. 
that you would be saved, that it's as simple as that, but as profound as that, that you will become a brand new person, that what was true of you when you got here, the Bible promises will no longer be true of you. That there's freedom here tonight, that there's hope here tonight, that there's forgiveness here tonight, that there's mercy, that there's grace, that there's never-ending love here tonight. And I know it's weird because some of you just came here tonight to, to pay a favor off to somebody, to say, you know what, I'll come to church. You stop bothering me. But there's something unmistakably happening in your life right now. Maybe there's tears flowing down your face. It's not because of anything that I said. That's the spirit of God. And he wants to reunite with you, his son or his daughter. And he is here right now. And I know that the the temptation is to just want to get out of here to go spend Christmas. But here's the thing. The thing that you've been longing for is here. The thing that you've been looking for is, is here. His name is Jesus. He's the light of the world. He's the hope. He's the love that you've never experienced. So as we get ready to close, one of the words we sang in that last song is, is where there was fear, you give me courage. Some of you are afraid right now. There's people looking around. There's people that might judge you. There's there's people that just kind of want to get in and get out. But you are in a very real moment with the Holy Spirit right now. And the Holy Spirit gives us courage to do things that we could not do on our own. And for some of you in this place, it is responding to God. So what we do is we say, if that's you, the way the son turned around and came back to the father, we do in this place, we just simply say, if that's you, I'm going to ask you if you have that courage, you want to make that commitment. If that's you, you just shoot your hand up in there. I'm going to count in a second. And if you say that to me, I'm going to pray with you as we close. I'm not going to lead you in a long, religious, drawn-out prayer. I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to point you out. We are going to clap because we're excited. We want to emulate what heaven says. You know what heaven says? When you, when a son or a daughter of God comes home, that all of heaven stops to celebrate. Jesus is anticipating at the right hand of God. Heaven is paused right now in this moment. They're interceding for you. The Bible says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. They're praying for you by name. They're saying, make the change. Grab a hold of Jesus. Don't walk out of here the same person. Loves you more than you can imagine. So if you're here, Plymouth meeting Limerick, Morrisford, and that's you. The white sheet is waving. You've pulled up to the house of God. And God is saying, I want you home. I want you home. I want you home. That you all over our house, side to side, front to back, every other campus. I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air all over this place and say, hey, today is my day. I see a hand here. I see a hand here. Is there anybody else? I see a hand here. I see a hand there. Yes, I see another hand right here. I see a hand right here, a hand right here. Yes, 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 yes. That's why we did what we do tonight. We're clapping with heaven right now. That's you. I'm going to give you one more second. Jesus, I want you to come into my life right now. I want you to forgive my sins. I want you to set me free anybody else in this moment as we wait for the other campuses to respond we're going to begin to pray and when I pray maybe you've never talked to God before maybe it's been years you're simply going to say Jesus I want you to be my savior I can't live life on my own anymore I want to put my life in your hands and when you reach your hands towards towards Jesus the same way the father treated the son he didn't even give the son long enough to apologize He's calling you home today. He's calling you home. Would you clap with the person in Royersford right now? Yes. Let's begin to pray all over our houses. Jesus, thank you for this day. Well, thank you for the hands all over this house that responded to your gospel tonight. Thank you for those that continue to respond at our other campuses, Lord. 
but thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for all that you're going to continue to do, that this is not the end, this is the beginning. Or that I think the best day of our lives is a day that we realize how much you love us and how much you want for us. And so, Lord, we are praying right now, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, set me free. Jesus, forgive my sins. Just like that, Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you, Lord. And Lord, when we say those words to you, you come into our life and you begin to change us and you set us free in a profound, life-changing, everlasting way. Not only do you promise to forgive us here, but Lord, you promise eternal life. And Lord, what a significant gift that you've given us, Lord. Your gift is telling us everything that we need to know about how you feel about us. And so we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for all that you've done on this special, life-changing Christmas Eve. Thank you for this place that we've had to worship at all of our campuses. And Lord, we pray that you were lifted up, that you were magnified, and that you were glorified. In Jesus' name that we pray, church, one more time. Would you shout amen? Come on, let's clap together one more time.